From the language app Babbel, I'm producer Thomas Devlin. Have you ever wondered why it seems like Europeans are better at learning languages? It's not just in your head. 54% of mainland Europeans speak another language, while only 22% of Americans do. On today's episode, we explore how geography, education, and perhaps most importantly of all, motivation shape the linguistic map of countries. Before we get started, make sure to rate and review Multilinguish wherever you listen, and don't forget to subscribe so you can get new episodes as soon as they're released. To discuss today's topics with me, I have executive producer Jen Jordan and project manager Alan Asklov. Thank you for coming today. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks. So. <laughs> We are talking about language learning in the U.S. and the U.K. and these sort of like monolingual countries, areas. Um, but we also have a European with us. We have Ellen with us. Yeah. Yes. Hi. <laughs> so I guess why are we why are we talking about this today and this time of year? So I think a lot about language learning, and I think one of the most relatable experiences about Americans and language learning is language classes. In the United States, so I took Spanish from first grade to eleventh grade, which is kind of rare. I don't think many people start in first grade. It's pretty unusual. Yeah, and like it is kind of. It was more of a let's say hola again. Here it is. Here's the basics over and over again. Also, one year I had a substitute teacher for the entire time, and we just played Seven Up <laughs> every class. But I also had some really great professors and teachers. And also, I took Spanish again in college,、um, but my Spanish skills today are still lacking. I'd say I have a solid grasp and I can understand a lot, but like I am not going to go to Spain, drop all English, and like flourish. Interesting. That's a long time to study a language and still feel like not. I mean, maybe not like super confident, I guess, in your fluency at that point. It is a very long time to study a language. It's almost frustrating. I'm embarrassed to tell people about it, but I'm not that embarrassed because when you tell other Americans about this experience of studying a language for a very long time, they can kind of relate to it. I mean, have you, Jen? Taken language classes? Yeah, I mean, so I'm in sort of a similar boat. Although I started in seventh grade, seventh was a great、mm-hmm. grade. Was the first time we really had like an elective to study another language. And in my high school or my middle school at that time, it was French or Spanish.、Um, and I grew up in Maine. A lot of Canadians, a lot of French Canadian、um, speaking. So I took French because I thought it would actually. Laughing at myself, be more useful, <laughs>、um, but it actually turns out like I love French and I love like continuing to study it. But that said, like I I took years of French through high school,、um, and I understand a few. You know, a lot of what I understand is like the stuff that really like gets like hammered into your head early on, like when you're still in those like impressionable years and you're capturing all of it and practicing it day after day, but. Picking up new stuff is still like a, a real struggle.、Um, and then I took German in college, and I also、um, minored in Russian language.、Um, and Russian, I've almost completely lost. Like I just, I didn't. I decided not to study abroad for a bunch of reasons, and I think that is really the point. Like where you either kind of like really go into the full、um, immersion. Or you kind of just like it was a thing you studied, and unless you like bring it back in some meaningful way, it's really difficult to kind of like keep in your mind. So, Ellen, you did not learn a language in the United States. 
No, I didn't. Schooling system. What was your experience of learning some of the language? And also, where are you originally from? <laughs> yeah, so I'm from Sweden originally. And we start at age eight learning English. And then age 12, we add another language, which usually is Spanish, German or French. And most people choose Spanish these days. Um, and then you can continue with that throughout high, high school as, as well. But a lot of people swap that for another, like extra math or, mm. or something like that. So is it mandatory to start learning English when you're that young, when you're eight? Yeah. Okay, cool. That's something everyone does. And I think this is true for most Scandinavian countries. It might, might, might be age 10. Um, it's also true for Germany, as far as I understand, Netherlands, and probably a bunch of other Oh, I have all the statistics on which countries require, ah, which we'll get okay, to great. shortly. <laughs> yeah, That's interesting, even just like from the very top level, because a lot of times it's an elective. You don't have to study another language in high school. And even if you go to like a liberal arts college, language is like an elective. Sometimes it's mandatory, but it's like a soft mandatory. Like you could take like music as your language in yeah. some cases. Like you can really skate by without ever taking another language here in the U.S. Yeah. Um, so you learn English is mandatory when you're in grade school. Yeah. And then another language later on. Yeah. Cool. When did you feel like you were like had a solid grasp of English and could use it? Was it like you had to go to some place that would speak English or were you like prepared? I, yeah, it's a good question. I think when I was maybe a teenager and would go to an English-speaking country, I felt that I could speak English. Um, but I think a lot of that is also tied to English being all around us, like in, in Scandinavia. Um, and yeah. I mean, you've mentioned watching American TV shows and like a lot of the pop, cult pop culture gets imported yeah, there so exactly. it, you are you're absorbing so much media like it's not just a classroom thing it's like a you're absorbing English kind of all over the place yeah exactly so it's hard to say which part is which is it a really good education or is it the fact that we don't dub movies for instance and it's just a lot of English everywhere interesting interesting so First of all, I feel like it's important to point out that the statistics do support like English countries that tend to speak English as their major language do not speak other languages as well. As I mentioned at the top, the United States, only 22% of people are bilingual and 98.6% of the population speaks English as one of those languages. So it's not that there are some small communities making up any amount of that. And I was actually surprised that the United Kingdom is there ahead of us with 39% bilingual, but not that far, especially because in European countries, on average, 54% speak a second language. So over half. It's interesting because I always assumed just because of geography, the UK would be better at languages. But every British person I've met is wildly embarrassed by how monolingual it is over there. <laughs> It was my assumption as well, because it's just like, you've just got to skip across. You can swim the channel, and then you're in France. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's actually part of the reason why, when I went into this question, I think the first thought that I had as to explain the United States and like the, lack, the monolingual culture is that geographically, we're just further away from other languages. 
you have French Canadians. I don't, I don't think I've ever met a French Canadian. Really? At least not like regularly. I don't think you would know in most cases if you had because they're pretty Americanized for the most part. Well, that's good to know. If you go to like Quebec, then you'd be able to actually yes. speak French. Well, but I even Montreal. To... You've never <laughs> I have been to Quebec, Thomas. so I'm lying. <laughs> but my main point is that I don't think that the French Canadians are creating this massive French culture in the United States. The southern border more so because we do have a lot of Spanish that goes on a lot, but that's pretty much it. And that is why Spanish tends to be the majority of foreign language education. Yeah, I would say there's more Spanish communities that have like kept their culture here in the U.S. versus French communities coming into the U.S. and creating a lot of cultures, except for some places like in the northeast. I think like in Maine, we had people who actually spoke French at home, but mm-hmm. that became more rare as I grew up. So, I do think it's important to point out that we are making generalizations about massive countries, and there are definitely parts of the United States where there is flourishing language and multilingualism, but overall, the numbers do not support a massively multilingual country. Very important to have that disclaimer. Yes, because <laughs> I don't want to make assumptions about anyone's individual experience, but overall. To go to my first kind of reason behind why I thought that Europeans, especially mainland Europeans, would be better at languages, it's because they're just closer. And we actually talked to the CEO of Babel, Marcus Witte, about it, who talked a little bit about this phenomenon. Uh, Europe might be a little ahead in, in, in uh, language learning methodologies and, and the way we take it more seriously. Um, Europe is a, is a multilingual uh, a continent uh, way more than North America. Um, yes, there's, there's uh, uh, French and Spanish speakers in North America, but, but uh, uh, we, we're much more confronted with, with people of different languages in Europe. Sure. Um, and we, we have a different, different approach to thinking around uh, languages, I think, from, from the very start, um, especially uh, since we're not native English speakers. And we all know without English, uh, there's no career, there's, there's no traveling, and, and so on. Um, so, so I think that's a big difference. And Europe is, is in, in, a, in a way, more, also more multicultural. So, so there's quite an interest of Germans to travel to Italy, uh, which might be comparable to, to the interest of, of people from Maine traveling to Florida. Uh, but you need a different language. So what it sounds like he's getting at is that you're actually confronted with more languages and people from different cultures who speak those languages than you are here in the U.S. Is that essentially what he's what he's getting at? Yeah, but absolutely. I mean, this is probably like a very huge reason geography is going to be a huge part of it. I mean, there are countries that just are multilingual in their very nature, like I don't want to say the wrong country. Switzerland? Switzerland, for example, that's just baked in. It's multilingual. You are not going to know one language there. So I don't want to understate just the importance of like the United States. It's on the other side. They only have really interactions with a couple other countries regularly. And that is going to be a huge discouragement in general for learning. Don't you think in general, though, when you're in living in a place, even like in New York or Berlin or somewhere that's a really global place, even just having that like familiarity of hearing different types of languages, that has an impact on 
your motivation to learn? Yes. I mean, Ellen, you've lived in several different places at this point. Like, it sounds like something that, is that the first reason? You have four reasons, right? Yes, I have four reasons overall. This was reason one. And I think in many ways, if we just chalk it up to that, you could. I do, but I also think that England, despite being a little bit separated, kind of shows that there must be some sort of deeper phenomenon. You can't just say, oh, well, the only reason Americans would ever want to learn another language is for travel. And then as soon as you take that motivation away, then there's no reason. There's got to be a larger phenomenon. And I decided that the next step, going back to our school conversation, is that education is very key to like what designs the way we talk. I wanted to look at statistics about not just overall bilingualism, but students in particular. And I found that only 20% of students in the United States are learning a second language. 20%? Yes. Wow. So one out of five American students is learning another language. Yeah. But that's it. And I found that kind of shocking. I mean, that takes it from overall. So that might count like if you only have to take it for a few years, that will lower it because then you're not at the age yet. But that's still like a shockingly low number. And even New Jersey, which is the capital of language learning in the United States, technically. Head up New Jersey. Yeah. New <laughs> Jersey is still only about 50% of students are learning, which is low. I mean, in some cases, not to get political, but funding cuts, usually language and the arts are the first things that kind of go because they're seen as not the core topics that students are tested on. So unfortunately, that is a reality of why some of these programs are cut. But yeah, um, that's still pretty low. Yeah, it definitely shows like a priority. It's just not a priority here. And that goes again to like the motivations that we're talking about. But still, and that number is especially low when you compare it to the average by country in Europe, which is 92% of students learning a language. In Europe? Yes. Wow. Which that does not count the UK, Ireland, or Macedonia was also not in this <laughs> particular data set. But All right. that's still representative. That's huge. Yeah. And so I decided for this that I wanted to talk to people who actually had teaching experiences and who work at Babbel. And fortunately, I found three people who have that expertise. I'm Jenny Dorman. I am an instructional designer here at Babel in Berlin. So I'm Caroline Pabeuf. I work uh, as a French editor in didactics, so I'm producing um, learning content for Babel. My name's Sophie Harwood. I'm a project manager for business English and other languages in the didactics department here at Babel. The first thing that I wanted to ask these three was just about teaching in general. And so they come from the United States, England, and France, respectively. So they had a, a wide range of opinions about how language is taught. I mean, I can I can say from having taught um, English in public schools um, and private schools in Germany that uh, one key difference is that they start much younger than the typical American. Um, so when I started learning French in high school, I was in ninth grade already. Um, so I was already a teenager and I had kind of missed maybe a little bit of that window of awesome brain plasticity um, when people are, or kids are more receptive to learning languages. Um, so I had students already in the first class 
here in Germany that were taking English lessons um, every day, and English was a required subject. Um, and it was taught in a very playful manner in the early grades. And actually, um, in most uh, most public schools in Germany, um, the students actually have to take English just to graduate from high school. And there's a sort of an an exit exam, so to speak. Um, so there's a lot more um, emphasis put on it. Yeah, I'm actually quite impressed with how much compulsory language there is in the US system compared to the UK system, because it's not mandatory at any level, either at high school um, or at university level. And I'd actually say there's even a bit of a disparity in terms of it tends to be the schools in the wealthier areas or the private schools that have language teaching facilities. And it's not always even available in a lot of public schools. That was Jenny Dorman and Sophie Harwood, who both have teaching experiences and they have a lot of interesting points. The requirements are something that I wanted to look into specifically because I thought, for example, the United States had a requirement for language learning, but it does not have one that covers much at all. And state by state, no? Yeah, it's definitely the state's decision. I mean, there's core curriculum and there's lots of curriculum stuff. It's a very complex topic, but in general, it's not the strongest requirement. And the United Kingdom, which she said does not have a requirement, actually England does, except not... Scotland, because that's, I mean, it's part of the United Kingdom. The United mm -hmm. Kingdom in general has, does not have a language requirement, but England specifically does. Northern Ireland also does. And on the other side of that, though, the United Kingdom is the one that starts language learning the latest. So they don't start mandatory language learning until the age of 11, which mm -hmm. is much later than others, because Ellen, you said you started at eight. I think, yeah. Yeah. And so that could go to this idea of once you miss a certain window of learning, it's going to become harder. And also in, in, in Europe, over 20 countries, including France, Luxembourg and Liechtenstein, and those are three important countries because those are three that have 100% language learning overall, but they require a second foreign language. And some of them require that second language learning to start before England has started its very first. Right. Are they requiring English or are they requiring just any second language? It varies country by country. Okay. Usually the first foreign language will be English and then they'll throw in like a French or a German. Um, do you have any thoughts on your experience in Sweden? Yeah, no, it's, yeah, exactly. English is mandatory and it comes first in Sweden and then you can choose from a bunch of them. But most schools just have um, Spanish, French and German. Um, but then it's also related to like the the relationships between countries, I guess. I mean, also like in Finland, you learn um, Swedish as the next language after English, because that has um, the status of a minority language there. And then I guess in parts of Germany or Italy, you would learn French if it's close by. And so I think all of those things are also um, yeah, important when choosing what language to teach and to learn. Yeah. It makes sense. This actually brings me to my third point, which we'll get to right after this break. Multilinguish is brought to you by Babbel, the language app. It's time for another language learning lightning round. Now, I want you to share your best tip for staying motivated to learn a language. Jen? So my tip is probably the most difficult, but planning a trip um, always gives me the best motivation. It's not 
doable. Sometimes I will kind of like plan something, even though I don't actually like book a hotel or an Airbnb yet. I just study like thinking, okay, I want to plan a trip somewhere and I have to learn a certain amount of the language to justify like spending the money to make it happen. Um, but then I give myself like a timeline and I have to get a certain amount like prepared. Um, and also going alone sometimes puts more of a burden on you to have to know how to get around. So like when I went to Paris this summer on my own, I felt a lot more pressure to like study the language and I actually got a lot more done this time. David? I think the best thing that I do to stay motivated is to make or discover a playlist. I think music is so important to me in just serving as the soundtrack to my life, giving me inspiration when I'm working out, when I'm you know on the commute to work, whatever. It helps me get in the zone. So if I'm excited about a new foreign language playlist I've made, there's there are a few other things that are gonna get me as pumped to engage with the foreign language. And Dylan. So I know I bring up dating a lot on this podcast, but uh, I find it really motivating um, when you connect with someone on a dating app and they speak another language um, to try to learn the language so that you can speak to them in that language. Um, so a lot of times I'll match with someone who's a Spanish speaker and I'll practice my Spanish on Tinder or whatever the app is in the uh, chat with them. And if I don't speak the language and they're really great, then that's all the more motivation to uh, take on that language. Thanks for your tips, y'all. Babbel will keep you motivated with convenient lessons that take only 10 to 15 minutes to complete and also designed to get you quickly speaking your new language within weeks so you're ready for whichever trip you have lined up. We're offering multilingual listeners 50% off a three-month subscription and new customers can get this offer by visiting babbel.com slash podcast. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash podcast. And we're back. So before the break, we talked about how geographic distance and also a lack of education have caused the United States and the United Kingdom to have less multilingualism. But now we're going to talk about a reason that I think gives those countries a little bit more credit. I had this conversation with Sophie Howard and Carolina Pabuf talking about language choice and how the language you choose is not always as simple as you'd think. I think something as well when you said... In the US, you know, are people learning Spanish or French? And it made me think in the UK, I think also one of our problems is we can't always decide which language we're going to be learning. Is it German? Is it French? Is it Spanish? Is it Chinese? Is it something depending on what teacher you actually have in your school and so on? And perhaps something that can help in continental Europe is I believe English is pretty much always the first, second language learnt, so to speak. Um, and that's not just because they imagine going to the UK or the US. It's because it's basically the international language of a lot of business and education and universities and so on. And I think sometimes as native uh, English speakers, we beat ourselves up a little bit that we think everyone's learned English for us and for our sake and because we don't speak other languages. But for example, just here at Babel, you can walk into a meeting room and there's someone from Peru, someone from the Netherlands, someone from Sweden, they're speaking English and there's no native English speaker there. And it's because it's an international language and people are learning English a little bit like uh, Carolina said, um, because you then speak English with German people, even though you're French. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no, for sure. You don't think twice if you have to learn a foreign language when you're French or German or Italian or whatever. You would learn uh, most probably English because wherever you're going to travel, you're going to be likely to use English to communicate 
So this does make me feel better that not everyone is just learning English because they feel bad for the poor Americans and Brits who just can't bring themselves to learn another language because our education system doesn't prioritize it. So I do feel slightly better after listening to them talk about us that way. <laughs> oh, it definitely made me feel better because I do feel like I have run into this problem where, for example, when I'm using Babbel, I just, I'm trying to choose, like, should I be using Spanish because it's... In the United States, probably the best foreign language you can do for the most likelihood of using it. Or should I be using German because I'm going to go visit Germany soon? And then I start one and I'm like, oh, actually, I need Dutch for this reason. The the multilingual thing does remind me too. And Ellen, I don't know if you have anything to add to this, but like the couples who are bilingual or multilingual and neither of them have English as their native language, but they speak English at home because they both speak English, even if they're a native German yeah. and like native Swedish speaker or whatever. Yeah, that's that, really common. That's what, that's what it reminds me of. And that actually, it just like, it's the lingua franca of their relationship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to pass like a judgment about like this being a good thing because having English as a lingua franca, I mean, it established a lingua franca because of a history of just kind of forcing English, both the United States and the United Kingdom, to colonialism and government strongholding after wars. But it is just kind of a fascinating phenomenon that I know about, but I just did not think how it affects individual decisions as much. It's just, if you are a German and you want to go to Spain, you could learn Spanish, but if you also want to visit France later, it makes more sense to learn English. So my fourth reason, which this kind of brings me to though, is that motivation to learn a language is complex. It's not, I mean, it's individual people who are making these decisions. I mean, education is going to decide somewhat, but I think, especially in the United States, for example, it's always going to come down to someone's personal motivation, and that is going to make it more complex. So I asked Carolina, Sophie, and Jenny to all tell me about why they learned, and I think that was really revealing so I learned German for love, so, so I could speak to my husband's family. Um, and I learned French because I moved to Paris and I just wanted to live in Paris because it looked beautiful. And once I was there, it only seemed polite to learn the language. <laughs> and it was quite useful then to, to find a job afterwards. So I suppose slightly to have the, so partly to have the opportunity to live and work somewhere different and fully integrate um, into the society and the work culture there, and then partly for love. <laughs> I feel like learning to be polite is the most British thing <laughs> to think of for adding a new language. Yeah, but I think politeness from a British standpoint does come a lot into it, partly for why we do learn languages and also conversely for why sometimes we don't learn languages very well is we don't want to seem rude if we get it wrong. And also... If you speak English, a lot of the time, if you try and speak another language to someone, for example, here in Germany, even sometimes, if I try and speak German, often people reply to me in English. And then I want to continue speaking in English because I don't want to seem rude mm. as if, oh, your English is too bad for me to reply to continue speaking in German. So I'll then speak to them in English so that it's not awkward. Or, And I think maybe it's like a battle of the politenesses as to who's <laughs> trying to speak each other's language. Yeah, I also learned Russian for love. So I guess it's a big motivation my ex was Russian so <laughs> I also learned Italian for yeah um, for traveling so which is very useful and vacation is a good motivation so that for sure motivation plays a big role also uh, German I learned because I live here in Berlin and I kind of need it 
but I don't speak it that well after four years because also people speak uh, English pretty well. So when I try to get deeper into a conversation, it's usually easier to switch to English. I had an interesting experience learning German here in Germany. I, I moved to Germany nine years ago um, from Winterlachs, Connecticut, so northern Connecticut. And I actually didn't move to Berlin, which would have been a disadvantage, I found, um, t for learning German because so many people here do speak English. Um, but I actually moved to a small city south of Munich, almost into Austria, where no one spoke English. And if I wanted to work and make friends and get involved in different um, activities, I really had to learn German. And so I really had no choice. Although now I have a pretty awesome Bavarian accent, I'm told, um, when I speak German. And I've been trying to work on that a little bit when I speak Hochdeutsch. Um, but yeah, there's definitely um, a motivation um, factor I think I was surprised by more than one person saying love for learning a language. Yeah. I think that will happen if you live in, so all of these people live in Berlin, which is very multi, multicultural, I guess, or like people are coming from all over Europe and also other places. Uh, and the same goes for New York, I suppose. Um, but in Berlin, if you don't meet someone who is from Italy, then you might want to learn. Not maybe not for them because, like if, as you said, Jen, uh, you might speak English as your partner language, um, but for family and yeah, visiting their home. You definitely hear that here in the U.S. Um, it's usually Spanish. Yeah. There's sort of less language pairings unless you're in a major city mm -hmm. like um, like New York or like L.A. But I think it's usually a lot of English, Spanish. But yeah, we do hear that a lot from a coworker. So you want to learn a language to like connect with your significant other's family. Yeah. I think um, here in the U.S., I mean, it's a lot of it's travel, but for me, a lot of it is also just like aspirational. Like aspirational Jen speaks French and knows Russian and like is very multicultural, um, but that's hard sometimes to like translate to the day to day. Like, hey, I'm on the train today. Time for your French lesson. Like, if I'm really tired or like have a lot of other work emails to do like it doesn't always happen so it did, and motivation definitely gets messy but like my aspirational like best self studies French every day <laughs> yeah I think aspiration is definitely one of the harder motivations it sounds the nicest but it, it's just I'm only accountable to myself when I decide that I'm doing something aspirationally and I'm not very good at telling myself to do anything i don't need to listen to me who do i think i am i feel like you're mm. so disciplined are I'm you not, kidding not, it, <laughs> you really fooled me it's all a presentation you'll <laughs> never know so we've covered my main four reasons which just to quickly review the first one is the geography where we just are not as close which is a big part of it we're not as close to other languages we're not going to have as many opportunities to even run into them not even bother learning them Education is huge. The fact that English is the lingua franca is huge also. And that, of course, is pretty confined to what we're talking about today, which is UK, US, and mainland Europe, because there are other parts of the world as well. We're not talking about them right now, <laughs> because there's just too many factors if you do that. And then lastly, that motivation can vary so much. And I think we kind of tried to think of solutions to this, I think, personally, education is probably the way that if we really pushed for it, that would be the best driver. But 
I don't think we're going to influence language policy quite yet. So I think putting pressure on motivations is kind of the biggest thing that we can do. And so I talked a little bit about that with Zoe Harwood and Jenny Dorman. Um, there's really a lot of research in, that looks at how someone's emotional connection to learning, not just learning languages, just learning in general, makes a really big difference in how well they learn and what, the, you know, what their sort of um, tenacity will be to continue learning and follow through and apply what they're learning. Um, and I think when you associate your early experiences with learning a language um, with fun, with games, um, or even maybe with um, fun motivations such as oh, I love this song or I really want to watch this series and you can see it in that, that native language and you have that drive. I mean, there are, there's been a lot of uh, data over the last few years about um, European um, countries and how well their citizens tend to learn English and how well their citizens speak English with or without an accent. Um, and the countries that tend to speak English um, as a second language, um, as almost as close to um, no accent, so no perceivable accent, are countries that don't dub their movies um, in, you know, in that native language. So, for instance, the Netherlands, um, when they import Hollywood films or, you know, films from Britain, they don't dub it and they're watching it in the native language. And so they have just so much more exposure, even if they don't have a speaking partner, they just have a lot more exposure. But countries like Spain, uh, sorry, France or Spain um, or even Italy, they tend to um, either dub um, or use subtitles. Um, so there's been some really good correlations to um, the, whether or not the media is dubbed um, versus whether or not the media is subtitled. And that seems to make a difference. But mm. And again, for children as well, I mean, my neighbor's kid is three and he watches Peppa Pig exclusively in English. And his vocabulary for Peppa Pig related vocabulary is mm. excellent. And I mean, he, you know, he's not learning English anywhere else or anything like that. But if I say who is mommy pig or who is daddy pig, he can point to it, he can explain this is baby pig or I don't know all the Peppa Pig characters, but <laughs> <laughs> also just that exposure and what kind of kids can pick up if it's fun and if it's colorful and to be honest, if it's on an iPad, it's a great way for learning as well. There's a lot there, especially a lot of Peppa Pig, which I just keep <laughs> thinking about. But I think the main point there is that motivation Sometimes we think about it as entirely like internally imposed, which I think is not entirely correct. And I think the fact that our society just kind of always focuses on English, let me take a different tact. I think there's a narrative out there right now that English is the lingua franca, it's going to continue being the lingua franca, why would you ever do anything in a different language because it's just going to be English? But I don't necessarily believe that either is correct or has to be correct. I think we have seen some shifts in more multilingual content in the United States. I mean, Netflix has done great work in just like having things in other languages from different creators. And sometimes they'll automatically dub the shows. But honestly, why would you ever watch a show that's been dubbed, it's awful. Their mouths don't match. Sometimes the emotions don't match and you're just watching it being like, what's happening? A favorite Thomas tangent we won't go into right now. Well, Subs v dubs. You can look up the video. Um, but I think if we thought about the future more as, it's not English is the future and that's going to be it. But if it were more 
everything is the future. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the way I think about it is when you think of these four reasons, like eventually education policy can change, but it won't change overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, geography is something that we can't change, obviously, but we do have technology now. And because we have technology and all this amazing content, like you mentioned, Netflix and um, all of these other series that are coming that are from different creators, created in native different languages, um, it kind of makes the foreign language a little bit less foreign. And I think it confronts more Americans who wouldn't necessarily, who might be from the middle of America and maybe aren't confronted with these other languages. It's actually bringing these languages um, to more awareness and it makes them feel maybe a little bit less scary or less foreign to some people. Um, And motivation is continually changing. I mean, like you said, it's messy, it's nuanced. Um, sometimes it comes from within, sometimes it's sort of imposed by other factors in our lives, but that's something that we have a lot of control over, I think. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, I tend to focus on like the education part of it, but there's a lot of other levers out there. And I think that could make a big difference in terms of language learning. Here's my utopia, Thomas More Devlin's utopia. I would like everyone to know at least a little bit of a bunch of other languages. I don't know if that makes sense. But I think, for example, I have taken Spanish, as I've mentioned many times in this very episode. (laughs) And I think just the fact that I know that, I can read some Spanish and interact with it in a way. That in itself, even though I'm not necessarily a master speaker, it helps me connect with this other culture. And it's so much better than not knowing any Spanish. And I think if we just built a society where, I mean, hopefully like lots of people should be learning other languages, but at the very least people just have a better grasp of other languages in general. And that seems like an impossible task perhaps now because the idea of learning one language always seems like an insurmountable task. But I don't think it's that hard. I think if we just knew the basics of a bunch of different languages, it would completely shift our attitudes and we'd just start to see other languages as What's the opposite of insurmountable? Surmountable. Achievable. Mountable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think what you're getting at is like language learning, like any type of learning is a journey. Like you don't just like check a box that you like, I don't know when you could ever check a box and just knowing something mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Ellen, you speak amazing English. You speak better English than I do, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, would you say like you've checked the box on English? You always learning I'm always learning more English and it's my native language yeah I'm always learning more English too especially um being here and living here um but also I have to say being here and being exposed to a lot of other languages than English um especially Spanish I've seen Spanish everywhere like in the subway um that has really gotten me psyched about taking up my Spanish again um which has been suffering since I learned German (laughs) so as you say, there are little motivations everywhere, and if you can just um, embrace them, I think you're gonna, you know, just feel joy about like learning a new language. I feel like we've given a lot of reasons to learn languages. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining me, Jen and Ellen. Thank you. Thanks, Thomas. Multilinguish is produced by the content team at Babbel. We are Thomas Moore Devlin. David Duchin. Steph Koifman. Dylan Lyons. And I'm Jen Jordan. Ruben Vilesh makes us sound good. Our logo was designed by Ali Zhao. You can read more about today's episode topic and more on Babbel Magazine. 
just visit babbel.com slash magazine. Say hi on social media by finding us at Babel USA, all one word. Finally, please rate and review this podcast. We really appreciate it. Thomas, I feel like I am just, I know you and your travels better than you do. As soon as I turn the recording button on, it's like my personality doesn't exist outside of this space. It's recording, Thomas, now. I don't know the other one.